people don't really think about um, what should happen to the shares they hold in a business when they pass away. And they kind of think, you know what, I'm just going to leave my, my whole estate to my surviving spouse or my children or what have, whatever it is. And that really isn't a practical approach when you're holding shares in a business. Welcome to The Pinch, where we share real stories of businesses navigating the ever-changing legal environment and learn how you can leverage the law to avoid landing up in a legal pinch of your own. Because when it comes to the law and business, you don't know you're in a pinch until it's too late. Welcome back to The Pinch with Natalie and Lucy from Concilium. Today's episode is called Have Fun and Faith, um, which is probably sometimes hard to have at the same time when you're experiencing some of the difficulties like some of our clients have. Um, Today we have as our guest in studio with us, John O'Buffy, and he is going to be chatting to us about just that. Um, how to have faith when, when there's bad times and having fun at the same time. Welcome, Jono. Welcome, Jono. Hi. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to give my input today into having fun and faith. Great. So I think just to put a little bit of background, um, what, what we're talking about here is, uh, is a situation um, where... Um, a shareholders agreement, share, a shareholders in a business put together an agreement, which sometimes they don't even do that, which hasn't been possibly correctly drafted or very thoughtfully drafted. And the pitfalls that can occur if, for instance, one of the shareholders passes away. Jono, do you want to just take us through a situation that you've been involved in and the kind of insight that you've gained through this situation? Yeah, sure. Um, just to give you a bit of history before I start talking about the actual winding up and becoming executor on the state. Um, I, um, I had a business that I ran for 22 years, um, and one of the, my shareholders and directors of the business, um, who was with me for 12 of those years, um, passed away um, some years back and asked me to be the executor on his estate. I mean, it was literally on his deathbed he asked me to do this, so it was probably emotionally charged as well, and I, I agreed. Um, he, he had, w- once we had sold our business to a big multinational, um, he came along of, into the business, decided to exit it, and started a, a similar business as a shareholder providing the services that we, we had offered. Within his agreement, he had obviously gone into business with a person that I had had some involvement with during my 20 years um, in my previous company, that um, I actually bought this guy's business. So there was some knowledge, obviously, A, the business. I had a, a lot of insight into the business, the valuation of shares, um, et cetera. And I had value, um, um, an idea of the, um, the, the people that were involved, clearly, obviously, Johan, who having worked for me, and the gentleman that, um, that he went into business with. Um, the reality of it is that when he passed away, um, I was left to negotiate um, the buyback of, of his shares. Um, and obviously because of my experience and because of my understanding of, of the equity value and the valuation of the shares, I then went into negotiation with the company that, um, that um, we, we, you know, needed to buy back his shares. Um, after his death, as pretty common, sometimes common, a lot of... Uh, uh, worms come out of the woodwork, and there were some disagreements between the, the existing owner and the family, the, the, the family that um, were um, holding the shares in their trust, and there were some pretty unpleasant negotiations, and there were 
certainly disagreements on on true value, etc. That that we, that the party believed that the, the acquiring party believed the shares were worth. Yeah, and I think um, ju- just to to add in there, um, this is a, a classic story where people don't really think about um, what should happen to the shares they hold in a business when they pass away, and they kind of think you know what, I'm just going to leave my, my whole estate to my surviving spouse or my children or what have, whatever it is. And that really isn't a practical approach when you're holding shares in a business. There's other, sh- there's other shareholders. They've gone into business with you. They don't necessarily want your spouse or your children taking over those shares and becoming shareholders in this business that they, they have built. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something people don't consider um, it's it's never a nice topic to talk about what what happens if you pass away. So people shy away from it, and I think this is a very clear situation where the shares were left to the surviving spouse. There was no real relationship between the remaining shareholders and the surviving spouse. They didn't want her or the family to be part of the business, and it be, turned into quite a nasty situation. Um, what we like to do when we're drafting shareholders agreements is to make sure that we deal with that situation, death being. Um, one of the key situations to deal with that causes a forced sale where the company buys back those shares, that the option of the shares being left to the the family is is not there. Further, we like to put in a calculation where it can be relatively easily ascertained what the value or how you will um, work out the value of those particular shares and also to prevent any further transactions. So kind of suspend those shares until they're sold. Um, in this situation, Jono, um, if you want to take everybody through it, but basically due to the to the fallout or, or the, the bad feelings between the remaining shareholders and the family, they employed some rather unpleasant, should I say, for the family tactics around devaluing the shares so, so as to pay out as little as possible to, to the estate. Um, Two of those tactics were to issue new shares, thereby diluting the value of the, the shares that the deceased person was holding, um, as well as create an obligation to for shareholders to put in a loan, um, which then, as the estate, there was this loan now that had to be put in, which was then taken off the value of the payout um, of the shares. So I don't know if you want to take no, us through that. No, that's exactly what happened. Just going back to what um, Lucy just mentioned on um, going into a partnership and shareholders agreement. In, in my experience, the exiting of a shareholders agreement and how you'd exit that agreement um, in bad times is as important mm-hmm. as the, the entering of the shareholder in the terms of that. So vitally important that formulas are on buybacks and um, uh, on death or... or, or um, or a person leaving the business is as important as the the terms of engagement initially. Yeah. So this this particular instance, um, I obviously went to then to the company. They uh, they engineered that um, they wanted to get those shares for as little as possible. Um, and there was, you know, what it, it, from an equity value point of view, um, they. they there, there was some sense in what they were saying. How they went about it, as Lucy mentioned, I didn't, I didn't necessarily agree with. But I, you know, I, I, I took away all the, all the noise of what they were doing and what they were trying to do. And my, my prime objective was to get a true value of, of that share at what I thought would be a, a reasonable multiple on earnings. So at the end of the day, um, they certainly didn't get the, the true value or... Uh, but you know, in any, I think in any um, exit and any um, negotiations, um, they got fair value for for their shares, and 
I certainly went on, on a higher end initially, and we sort of, um, I cut a deal with the guys that um, whatever they paid was, was fair value. It wasn't top, top value, but it was fair value. And I think that, that this situation was largely saved due to you being the executor and the negotiator here, having a, an in-depth knowledge of the, um, the business and, and the value that the shares possibly would be. In most situations, um, you, you're leaving your surviving spouse or a friend or maybe an attorney that has no idea about the business as the executor left to negotiate that um, stormy sea would, would not end favorably. And I think the key learning here has to be that, as you, as you mentioned, Jono, is that you have to very carefully consider and negotiate the exit terms of a shareholding arrangement. It's, it's, it's a marriage for all intents and purposes. Absolutely. You know, we go into a marriage and we, we do our um, contract um, as if there would be a divorce. So the same, you know, the same sort of thing should apply, I think, when you enter into a, you know, to a business arrangement, a shareholders agreement. I think the other thing I'd also like to say is because you are emotionally tied into certain, some situations, to get a, a personal individual or a friend or family to become your executor, uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, advise that. No, so yeah. if you ever asked any of you to be an executor, I would rather pass that on to uh, recommend to the family that they get a legal person. It just cuts out all the emotion. And um, obviously you can assist um, in those negotiations due to your knowledge, like in this instance, but definitely pass it on to a, a legal expert in, on the matter, not, uh, not try and handle it yourself. It, it became a, an emotional roller coaster. And the other, you know, the, just adding to that, the other instance in this situation was that the company that we wanted to buy the shares wanted me to come in as a shareholder as well. But I had to be obviously very careful. Mm. Um, I decided not to for um, uh, some certain reasons. Um, but, you know, I had to be very careful on what that shareholding value was, and, and if I had have come in as a shareholder, that I, you know, I wasn't obviously trying to engineer it, that I was getting good value out of, out of entering. So, John, I think it's quite a unique, well, not unique, but it's not a, a situation many of our listeners would find themselves in often. It's interesting that you can see this um, whole scenario play out from being the executor on a deceased estate, having known the business as a previous shareholder, and then almost stepping into the shoes of being a shareholder again. So really, the, it's a multifaceted, your, your story. But around the shareholders agreement and what are important things, like as we, say, as we were saying, it's, it's really entering into a marriage. And you need to uh, apply your mind to what will happen if you want to exit the business, if the business fails. And that's, that's also a real possibility because what happens after the business or if the business fails is as important as if the business succeeds. And also all the things that can happen to the various shareholders during the relationship. These are all issues that we like to provide for in a shareholders agreement, which is really a formative document on the basis of the relationship. Because personal situations change and there could be anything that arises. There could be health issues with a partner where it's not, perhaps they haven't passed on, but they're not be able to fulfill their role anymore as they once were because they're, they're incapacitated. Um, there could be, we won't go into uh, some awful situations, but there's, there's things that people do. There could be theft. We, we deal with those 
kinds of situations, specifically in agreements as a forced sale event, because you want to provide for them separately to another kind of sale event. And you did mention it earlier when you said that uh, this needs to be specific formulations around those share calculations agreed upon up front. Otherwise, you get into this nasty situation like has unfolded here where there are all kinds of moves being made in the dark and how are we going to do this and we're going to swing the value this way and that way. And had something been clear-cut with all parties that were interested from the outset having all their interests being... Um, kept in mind and covered, it could have possibly been avoided because uh, the, the non-existence or the absence of some very important clauses did give way to, to some underhanded things. Yeah, and, and another thing with, with this particular agreement, it was also an option for the, um, the, the deceased family to retain the shares um, and there was no real mechanism to force that sale um, which could have been catastrophic. It could have been the end of yeah, the business. Absolutely. So what we'd like our listeners to take out from this um, podcast, and thank you, Jono, for your valuable insights, is just to ask yourself the question, have you thought about the blind spots in your contracts? Have you thought about the what-ifs and the maybe precarious scenarios that you don't really want to think about? Because as we've mentioned, it's like a marriage, and a breakup of a partnership or shareholders can be very costly and very disastrous to a business. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, as, as we've mentioned, the exit strategy is as important as the entrance. And you know, the most important thing, it's got to, it cuts out the emotion. Because in this instance, I have no doubt the family probably looked at me and could I have got more value from them? Uh, maybe I could have, you know, it wasn't significant. But, you know, it just, it put a lot of, you know, I've always valued my integrity above all. And it sort of put me in a an uncomfortable situation and it didn't really sit well with me. And it was due to that the fact that they they hadn't thought the shareholders mm. agreement through and hadn't um, when they started the business um, ensured that all the um, potentials for different scenarios hadn't been covered in that shareholders agreement. Oh, we have the voice of reason. Yes indeed. Hi. Um, <laughs> Hi voice of reason. So I'm interested because for me, this sounds like uh, your shareholders agreement becomes a self-executing insurance contract, actually, or another way to describe it. Um, but I'd really like to hear more around like the self-executing part. Like, how does that actually unfold in the real world of the law? That's a, a great descriptive um, narrative for, for a shareholders agreement. And I think it, it really points, the, points to the pertinent issues that, that should be dealt with in a shareholders agreement. And what we touched on earlier is catering for forced sale events. So it's a situation where you want a sale. So one of the shareholders must be forced to sell for whatever reason. And there's various scenarios where this should be the case. One being death um, for the reasons that we've mentioned because you wouldn't want the, the deceased's family or friend or lawyer to become part of the business. Another one Natalie mentioned was ill health where the shareholder can't really um, give as much value to the business as they initially were and you, you want them to be replaced. Um, you know, if you haven't got a specific mechanism for a forced sale, you wouldn't be able to force that shareholder out. He would just remain. He or she would just remain. Another one, Natalie, also touched on... Which, which, me which means, uh, just for listeners, if they remain, you're going to continue to pay them as you once were remunerating them when they were delivering the ser their services um, as, they, as was envisaged initially. Yeah. Um, another one which was 
briefly touched on is um, theft or fraud. One of your shareholders might be involved in a dubious situation that resulted in loss of money. Um, you, you want to, you can always fire a shareholder if he is an employee. Um, so you can infi- you can fire him from his position of an executive within the business, but you can't fire a shareholder. You can't get rid of a shareholder unless there's a mechanism to do so. So it's all these types of situations that you've got to think of and say, okay, if there's an event, any of these events, it's regarded as a forced sale. And that's, no a, that's a really big event for, for, I mean, no one envisages that their partner or a shareholder is going to do anything and toward the towards the business because it would be a breach of their fiduciary duties. But just imagine a scenario where you do have a, sh- a shareholder, they've been skimming off the top somewhere. You say, okay, fine, we don't want you in the business anymore, but they're left holding shares and therefore they have some say in the business depending on what their shareholding looks like. That is definitely not a, desi- a desirable position for anyone to be in. I think it's something that our listeners really need to take heed of. Yeah, and even in that situation, um, carrying on with, with talking about these forced events, just as it's important to specify the particular events that would cause a forced sale, so is it equally important to, to um, describe the, the calculation of the value of the shares at each instance. For instance, if there has been a, a theft or fraud situation, the last thing you're going to feel like doing um, when you've caught some uh, a shareholder of stealing, skimming off the top, is then to pay them out top dollar for for their shares. Um, I mean, then it's a double, if not a triple loss for the company. So in that type of situation, you have a calculation where basically the value of their shareholding would be zero as a result of illegal activity and breach of fiduciary duties and fraud to creditors and and the business as a whole. Um, Similarly with death, there you never want to do your partner, well, certainly at the outset when when you're entering into a relationship, you're never going to want to do your fellow shareholder or their family out of value that they've put into the business. So it's a good idea to to create some sort of calculation that in the event of a death, all subjective emotion is taken out of it and there's an agreed formula on, on, on which to value the shares so that the family is getting an absolute fair um, payout for those shares that's been agreed upon by the, the deceased before he passed away. Yes, exactly. The, and moreover, and John can speak to this specifically, that's not the only thing you need to consider in a shareholder's agreement. A shareholder's agreement and your governance documentation really needs to be looked at holistically because you can take sort of excerpts of it and they might be right in isolation. But when you get to a more granular granular level of the agreement, there's all tricks and um, mechanisms that people can employ to do things. And in, in this situation, it was a devaluing of the shares, which you we had a high-level discussion about earlier. Yeah, and I think it's very important when you're entering into a business or even if you've already got a business and you may even have a shareholder's agreement that you haven't looked at it for a while – you should look at it regularly and you should make sure that it's up to date and you should make sure that it covers the the various pitfalls that you can envisage. And to sit with somebody that's an experienced in drafting these types of shareholders' agreements and prompt you in the kind of things that you need to be thinking about and agree up front how those scenarios will be dealt with. Yeah. I think I think it's also important on the financial formula, so whether it be a multiple of earnings, less debt, or however the formula works is you know that in, in small smallest businesses, those numbers can also be manipulated. So it's it's if you disagree with that, who's going to arbitrate that? Mm. You know, you're not in a really a position to arbitrate it. So even within the shareholders' agreement, have the the formula, but also have a a backup, a, mechanism. Um, a backup mechanism and a provision for allowing a 
more objective person to come in and, and uh, scrutinize the numbers and ascertain whether that's the right value or whatever as an independent person rather than you trying to negotiate it, particularly sure. if you have no interest, sure, if you have no knowledge point. of how the business works or experience in how, how um, values are attained. Absolutely correct. As a, as a last takeout, and just for our listeners, what is, it imp- what is important to note is you can be as rigorous as you want with your shareholders agreement, but you really need to make sure that your MOI, which is your Memorandum of Incorporation, which is registered with the company's I mean, Intellectual Property Commission, is um, in agreement with your shareholders gre- agreement, that it coincides, because the default position in law in the Companies Act is that the MRI will take precedence. And the MRI will often say something very different to what the shareholders would want in their shareholders agreement. So when you undertake this exercise of looking at your shareholders agreement, very, very important to make sure that the MRI is drafted accordingly. Absolutely correct. So that was great. Thank you so much, Jono, for coming on our show. We really enjoyed having you. Yeah, thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. So if you're in a legal pinch of your own and would like some practical and professional legal advice, check us out at conciliumlegal.co.za or drop us a line at info at conciliumlegal.co.za.